results aren't going your way. It's easy to kind of like get on each other. A difference in our style, but it wasn't a difference as to who we are or what our identity as a Keep team Keep up were. to date with the latest WSL action and the biggest interviews. Subscribe to the Koi Gig podcast stream on the OTB Sports app now. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. All right, it's eight fifteen. Daniel Harris is with us. Daniel, good morning to you. How are you getting on? I'm good, thanks. Hi, everyone. Um, let's start with the title race briefly. I assume it's over at this point. Manchester City couldn't possibly shoot themselves in the foot from here, could they? Um, I mean, they could because way stranger things have happened. But it's City in particular, also Liverpool, but City in particular have mastered winning games in the Premier League. So it would be surprising if they were to avoid winning two of the last three, I suppose. The signing of Haaland, we were having this conversation a little bit earlier on. Um, you know, it's always interesting when the best young available player in the world signs for the league champions. And there's always an assumption um, in many places that this is just going to automatically make them unbeatable. But that's not the case. Very rarely that one player tips a team from really good to great. What's your instinct about how this is going to work out? Well, I think, I mean, if you were to look at the Real Madrid game, if City, you would think if City had Haaland in that fixture, then that ties over in the first leg. It won't sort out their defensive issues. Because this season, I would say, City lack a little bit of ruthlessness at either end. And it will address the ruthlessness at the top end of the pitch. It won't make them defend better. And the reason why Pep Guardiola keeps not winning the Champions League is that eventually... If you keep playing good teams, which doesn't always happen, if you look at Liverpool's draw, they haven't really played anyone good following the group stages yet. But you, some, you generally you come across a team, and if you don't defend properly, eventually you come across a team who might be inferior but have have elite level attackers, and then you're in. You're in. There's a possibility you might lose, and that's why City. If we look at what they've done in Europe over the last few years, they haven't really even lost to the, the best teams around. They've been losing to Monaco, they've been losing to Tottenham, they've been losing to Lyon. And that's because they don't defend well enough. And Pep Guardiola's never had a good defence. He's had he's had teams that mean uh, that are so good you can barely get at the defence. But Harlem won't make City defend better, but he will make it easier for them to outscore whoever they happen to be against. So, uh, by that token then, it's not inevitable that this is the thing that makes them three out of the next five Champions League winners, is it? No, it's not, but it's possible because Haaland is a monster and nothing suggests that he won't turn up and just score loads and loads of goals. You do, you can have a situation in a team where you have one very prolific goal scorer that it can mean you don't get as many goals as you should from everywhere else. Definitely, the players that played Ruud van Nistelrooy, if you definitely thought that about him at the end, I'm not sure they so much thought about him when he was banging them in and holding it up and bringing others into play and all that and creating goals out of nothing. Once he lost his pace, sort of 2004-2005, swapping him for Lewis Saha, who was nowhere near as good a player, but much better at bringing other players in and worked much better in the team, was actually a really good move by Fergie. But when these guys are in their prime, they tend to be people that you want to have around because they mean that games where you might not be playing well or whatever, they're able to score go- score goals out of nothing to create their own goals. Or if you create them one chance, they will find a way of getting it, of, of scoring. And Harlem, I'm sure, will give City that, but it won't, he won't make them unbeatable. or in a, no, no, because they'll still defend badly with these defenders. Manchester City already have some really good attackers, uh, to say the least. They may not be people who will score 40 goals a season, but they're really, really good. So what happens to, to Gabriel Jesus this off-season? Does Jack Grealish 
get better having uh, a striker like Haaland beside him? How do you see that constellation of forwards playing out over the next couple of months? Well, I guess what it means is Haaland will play almost every game at centre-forward, so you're not going to see much of Phil Foden playing through the middle anymore. Um, or Jack Grealish, for that matter. Grealish, I thought, was a strange signing because although, obviously, we know he's a good player, he's not someone who really fits into the way City play football. Um, I felt like the, the the fact that he wasn't used in the Atletico home game in particular didn't look good because that was a game that, to me, was made for Grealish because we know that Atletico are going to sit back and City are going to have a lot of possession and one of the ways that you might be able to use Grealish is because in that kind of situation, you might be able to have a few more touches, someone who can conjure you a goal out of nothing. But in general play, in the way that City likes to play in most games against most normal opposition, it was kind of hard to see where Grealish might go. And that's still the case. So if he wants to play more football, he'll have to get better. Um, I don't know if he will or not. And he might not be given the opportunity to get better because they've just signed someone who's more, which is more competition for places because Harlem's going to play in every game. So there are going to be fewer places in the team up for grabs for someone like Grealish to have. Gabriel Jesus is probably in trouble. He was signed to be a centre-forward. Um, he was signed to take Aguero's place. And Guardiola tried really hard to slot him in instead of Aguero. But it turned out that Aguero was having absolutely none of it and was just too good. And he also probably was able to do more of what Guardiola wanted than Guardiola had supposed. With someone like Jesus, he's obviously good to have in the squad, but he's now, as I said, there's there's now one one position fewer for Jesus to, to play in, unless Haaland's being is injured or being rotated. So he might decide that the time has come to leave. And but at the same time, it is really hard to leave a club who are basically guaranteeing you medals every season. So I don't I don't know how he feels about that, but it's only possible to keep a player as good as Gabriel Jesus, who's not playing regularly, if you're winning, and City are winning. But he was he might decide that this is one step too many and decide to get out of there. Like he's obviously been linked with Arsenal, but does Jesus improve most teams in the Premier League outside of Manchester City and Liverpool, or do you look at Chelsea and Manchester United and Tottenham obviously and think to yourself, "Nah, yes. I can't really do with them." Yeah, he does. Yeah, he he does, but. Does he improve them enough to get them closer to Manchester City and Liverpool? And the answer to that is like, probably, speaking, looking at United, who do need a centre-forward, I wouldn't look at Gabriel Jesus to be that centre-forward, even if he didn't play for City, because I don't think he's good enough for that. Arsenal might consider him to be someone who is within their price range who might be worth a look. But um, other than that, I think he's probably struggling in England because the clubs in England will be looking at probably younger players or better players. It's interesting to think about what the future constellation of that team will be. Like what, what's in the big games next season when Haaland comes in, how will they line out? And uh, now having an out-and-out number nine who is the focal point of all the attacks and who is demanding the ball and the chances, um, is it the same? Is it is it Mares on one side, Foden on the other and then a similar midfield to what we've seen at the moment? Or... Is there somebody who plays as like a number 10 behind the number nine and it's a more... I doubt that. I mean, very few teams have a number 10. What they'll be looking for is they'll be looking for balls coming quickly across the face of goal. And that will be Mares, Sterling, Foden. Um, and because that's that's kind of... I mean, Harlan can do lots of things because he's big and strong and powerful enough to run with the ball and to bring others into play. But City scored loads of goals. Think about all the City goals, almost kind of the archetypal City goal. And it was before that, it was one of the archetypal Wenger goals when when, when he had uh, Wiltor, Henri Pires. 
there was a ball rolled across the face of the goal for someone to tap in from not very far out. And I think that we'll see Haaland scoring a lot of those goals where the ball goes wide, where the build-up's probably quite slow, but then all of a sudden it's boom, 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 the ball goes wide, one or two passes between the full-backs and the wingers, it comes zipped across the goal very quickly, and Haaland is the first player at the front post or the first player there for the cutback to, to finish. I think we'll see a lot of those kinds of goals. Um, because that's kind of the, the football that Guardiola is trying to play in the first place. And he's basically signing the best player in the world at getting across the front post quickly. Having someone like Haaland in the squad now is something that's going to give Pep Guardiola a little bit of a, a kick for next season, you'd suspect. It's interesting, though, to weigh up where the, the energy levels are in terms of Pep and his longevity at, at the club. Like even just listening to his comments the other day about the media being packed full of Liverpool and Manchester United fans, it kind of <laughs> suggests to me this uh, this sort of mentality that Pep really kind of sees his job as, you know, the outlier, the, the guy to prove everybody wrong. Um, yeah, what a rebel. A rebel, yeah. Of, <laughs> what a rebel, the manager of Barcelona, Bayern Munich and the richest club in the history of football. He spent the most money in the history of football while abusing human, human rights. What an absolute rebel of a maverick. Um, I mean, he's pissed off ultimately, isn't he? And you can understand that. And that's part of the way, that's part of the makeup of obsessive obsessive winners and we've seen that from Guardiola all the way through his career we've seen it yeah from when he when he left Barcelona and Tito Villanova wasn't well and Guardiola was just obsessed with his football and everything is about this delivering this um his perfect aesthetically perfect football in the manner precisely that he describes it and everything is in service of that and this is the highest moral standard is Pep Guardiola's football is a is not just um it's not just an aim, it's a moral standard, and it's that. The moral standard of this football, the moral rectitude of this football, is what enables him to forget about what is enabling him to produce this football and the suffering and human rights abuses that are allowing that to happen. And that's why he's able to go in full honesty and say what he says about everyone supports City, Liverpool and it's not fair on poor City that people don't want them to win. And for number one, I don't think that's true. I think that... As clubs, there is much more hatred for Liverpool than there is for Manchester City because Liverpool are have are traditionally people, teams that have been successful and teams that have traditionally been successful are teams that are more likely to be hated. And there are obviously various other reasons why people dislike Liverpool. The only reason people care about Manchester City is the human rights. It's not anything to do with City as a club beyond that. It's really, it's the human rights and the manner of the spending of the money that is obviously related to that in a sports washing project. That is why people don't like Manchester City. Otherwise, I think there's much more animus towards Liverpool than there is to Manchester City because it's, in football, grudges grudges go deep because they've been, football's been happening for a long time. So those grudges have been deepening for a long time. And City have only just got, in football terms, City, City are Arabists. They've only just arrived. So there's not been enough time for this hatred of Man City to be enshrined in the mentality of the wider footballing public. Obviously, United hate Man City because they're local rivals. But other than that, I don't think people that I speak to feel that City are generally a better option when they're competing for titles with a and other team because a and other team is likely to be a team that that other club have more history with, so dislike more intensely. So I can understand why Guardiola thinks that because... Being the monomaniacal genius that he is, it's only possible often to see things from your own perspective because that's all you're thinking about. Every minute of every day is that. So it's easy to build that mentality that everyone's out to get you, particularly when people celebrate your downfall. 
But number one, they're celebrating the da- had someone else had a downfall, they'd be celebrating that. And that's that's what football is. It's enjoying the misery of others. That's a lot of what competitive team sport is. Whether it's football or rugby or cricket, your team has if your team's not winning, then you want all the other teams to lose somehow. Because a- that is consoling. I mean, I look at myself as a Man United fan. United got gov 4-0 by Brighton at the weekend. And yet this was one of the better weeks being a United fan in recent times because City got knocked out of the Champions League in humiliating style and Liverpool also lost. So looks like they're not going to win the league. And that is part of the parochial, childish nature of football that we love so much. And the 4-0 defeat to Brighton certainly gave the Liverpool fans some comfort uh, over the weekend and the City fans some comfort so. too. It's a, and rightly so, of course. It's a carousel. Enjoying that. A carousel of shit. Yes. And I guess Guardiola, that's not something because he's not a fan. He's someone intimately involved in a particular team and in doing everything to make that team the best they can be. And he's had a disappointment last week, a significant one, that was a repetition of several other significant disappointments we've seen over and over again. You can understand why he's feeling like the world is against him, but obviously it isn't. Uh, let's, let's do a, a quick bit on Manchester United here. The the level that they've fallen to at the moment, we, again, we've been nitpicking over, uh, is this is this the new low? Is it is it as low as it goes? Um, h- how long do you think it will realistically take Ten Hag to inject some purpose to the club and how much patience will there be with that? There'll be, there'll be plenty of patience, but the patience, you have to see things improving. So if he starts badly, obviously there'll be pressure because you're manager of Man United and if it's crap, there'll be pressure. But there's... Provided you can see improvements, then people will always be patient while it looks like things are improving and while it looks like there's a plan. And in some ways, it being so bad right now is advantageous to the manager because it means that people are, it's not very difficult to make it better than this because it's so dreadful right now. And also what he's got that other managers before him haven't had is it's obvious that almost that players need to go and players will be going. Mata, Matic, Cavani, um, Pogba, Lingard will definitely go. Baye and Jones will almost definitely go. And so before you've even started, that's quite a lot of room in the squad, quite a lot of money, quite a lot of players to replace. And that's something that Ten Hag will presumably relish. I mean, who knows what sort of job the board will actually do out of making this happen. But with so many players who will 100% be disappearing because it's the end of their contracts, he will have quite a lot of scope to bring in the players that he wants and during pre-season, he'll have the opportunity to try and drill them in the way that he wants to play football. So I think that it's, in a way, it's better. If you look at the, the other managers coming in, Moyes inherited Fergie's team that was full of players who were past their peaks, who were able to eke out one last title. And he didn't really have the means to sort that out because David Gill left that summer as well. And he ended up with one player that was Fellaini. Then you had Van Gaal coming in, who sold good players, bought crap players, and you had Mourinho having to deal with that whilst buying whilst buying crap players of his own. And then you had Ole, who was stuck with the detritus of everyone, whilst also trying to buy good players. And then the manager now comes in and it's got to a point where it's so bad and so many players will go that actually he's sort of not really dealing with that much mess. He's really, and, and a team that has been compiled by loads of managers with different ideas about how you should play football, he's just sort of able to come in and start doing the things that he wants to do from the beginning. So hopefully that will make things good, good, or at least better quite quickly. Well, there is a possibility that it takes a while for his ideas to get through to some of those players who have been conditioned under different managers and who are just the wrong players. So 
like unless he can sign eight to ten players quickly and bed them in, there's a good chance this team is tenth or in that kind of ballpark in the league table around Christmas. Is there patience for that? I'd be there is, but I'd, I'd be surprised. It worried because if this team finished second last season. I was thinking about it the other day that at the end of the last day of last season, United were safely ensconced in second. Or they picked like half picked Ahmad and Alanga picked kids to play against Wolves. United went to Wolves and won. These aren't they aren't they're not all terrible players. There are players who are playing at the very trough of their ability, the very bottom of the trough of their ability. So coming in and improving that, a new manager who's actually here to stay. So it's not like the Rangnick situation where the players tossed it off months ago. But I don't know. We know, we don't know how many players is going to be allowed to sign, but we do know that it's not. It can't be three with all the players that are leaving. It just can't be. And so it shouldn't be that difficult to have a forward line of Jaden Sancho, whoever, whichever forward you sign, and whichever other forward, and, and getting something more out of Marcus Rashford scoring enough goals that you don't finish 10th. It shouldn't be difficult to get more out of a team than that. And when you've got, just when you just signed a decent centre forward, you're going to get much more out of Bruno Fernandes as well. And the, the it's obviously up to Ten Hag to come in and to use his ability, not just as a tactician or a strategist or whatever, but as the leader to make stuff better. That should also be something that the manager's capable of. And that's the manager's job. I Maybe I'm wrong. Um, I don't think United will finish 10th next season. I think that they should be able to make it better enough, quickly enough to be much better than that. Can you see a future for Fred and McTominay and those players? Um, like is not, the, is not, the... not really as first team players. I mean, I have sympathy for McTominay because he's been the one who keeps playing in the position that isn't his. But obviously he should be playing it better. He looked like until this season, he looked like he was improving, improving, improving. He's, he's had a dreadful season. I mean, you can't pretend to the contrary. There was a time when McTominay was quite a good first, quite a good first reserve. You knew that he wasn't really good enough to play in midfield for United, but he had good attributes and you saw him using them. He was a good ball carrier. He was good when the ball dropped around the, the edge of the box. He was quite a good finisher. He was good in the air. He was physical. He's just had an absolutely dreadful season. Fred will, again, also, he'll never be good enough, but... He's not a bad rotation player in the right system. So whether how much we see of them next season, I guess, depends. Because again, Tomine has played really at the bottom of his ability level this season. Whatever people say about his ability level not being high enough, which is a fair point, he's, he couldn't play, can't play any worse than he has this season. United will sign a number six, so he won't have to play there again. Um, and he's not someone you would necessarily replace in this round because you've got so much other work to do. And he's not someone who is completely untenable as someone who sometimes plays if he's playing in the right position and in the right system in a team that's playing well. But clearly McTominay and Fred are not going to be fixtures in a team that wins the league anywhere. How long before they're competing for a league title? Um, What's realistic? I think I think the season after next would be the best case scenario. You'd have to. I don't know how many players they're going to be allowed to buy, but you'd have to nail almost all the transfers, which is always the case with every club that isn't funded by state wealth. That if you want, if you want to compete against Liverpool, who have the greatest manager, in my opinion, the greatest manager of the generation, an all-time great manager, and are nailing every single transfer over and over again, then you need to do that as well. If you're competing against City, who have the generation's other greatest manager and state wealth, then you have to the players that you have to come in. You have, you have to nail the transfers and. Ole didn't nail the transfers and 
that was that was in the end probably the thing that killed him was not signing enough good players. And Ten Hag has got the ability to sign quite a few players, but he has to sign the right players, even though he'll be hopefully better at extracting the most from whoever he signs than. But it should take a year probably to let's say United get get five new players this summer. That doesn't seem beyond the realms of possibility. Five new players, that's half a team. So a season to settle them in, a couple of months to settle them in and to get them playing the way that they want to play. And then if they can nail next summer's signings, they should be in a position to start pushing. But until that happens, it sounds like a ridiculous thing to say, doesn't it? Yeah. And also as well, I think that kind of premise is based on the fact that Manchester City and Liverpool and the other clubs around Manchester United stand still to a certain extent. It's banking on the fact that Liverpool don't continue to hit the jackpot with every single signing. And I think Manchester United need to close the gap on a recruitment level to those clubs as well as hoping that the players that they have in the pitch are closing that, that gap as well. Yeah, for, for sure. I mean, Liverpool, the thing is, is Liverpool aren't going to, how many players do we think Liverpool are going to sign that this summer? One, two? They're not going to be that much better next year than they were this year, probably. Number one, because... In terms of league points, there aren't that many more league points available that it's realistic to expect them to get. And they're not going to go and refresh the whole team because they don't need to because the team's excellent. So they might sign one or two players this summer. They might not sign even players for the first team. They might sign players who they want to integrate in the first team. So I don't think that Liverpool are going to get loads and loads better this summer. City are obviously signing Holland, which will make them very strong favourites to win the title next season because they look like they're going to win it this season. And they just signed Haaland. Doesn't always work like that. But United signed Van Nistelrooy and Veron after winning the title three seasons in a row, but didn't then go and win the league the season after that. But then on the other hand, they didn't. City aren't, they're obviously upstanding. City aren't going to go and sell one of their defenders. But there's a limit to how good it's possible for a yeah. football team to get. They're not going to get so good that they win every game by loads of goals all yeah. the time. Yeah. The I think difference. That, and that brings the conversation around full circle again, because I think that there is an assumption from some people that that's what's going to happen with Haaland, that suddenly City ascend to a level that is a combination of uh, Arrigo Saki's Milan, um, the Liverpool team that won three Champions Leagues in the 70s and 80s, and, I don't know, the Arsenal Invincibles. But it's not, it's not going to happen. They're not going to... We can't just pencil them in for the next Champions League and the one after that. By virtue I agree. Like, Saki's Milan only won one Serie A with their famous winning the Champions League, but they only won one with the European Cup. They only won one Serie A. So, I mean, things never work out in the way that you expect them to because if they did, we wouldn't really be watching it. You no. know that roughly how it's going to go, or at least see Liverpool probably could have been near the top of the league next season. At least until but, the semi-final stage of the Champions League, we have a fair idea how it's going to go. But then mayhem happens and that's why we keep tuning in, I think. Yeah, because when like football is a chaotic game and goals are scarce, so the best team won't always win because it's about producing it on that day. And City, yeah, City obviously they're going to be better with with uh, with Haaland. And what what Liverpool and what Liverpool and City have that United don't have, and what Chelsea don't have either, and what Arsenal don't have is the belief that they can win any game from any situation. See, don't they don't have it in the Champions League, but in the league, they expect to go out every game and win and you watch United play recently which is where we were, talk- we were talking about as well they don't have anything like that belief they're sort of waiting for something to happen and that is that's um, that's something that um, Ten Hag will have to work with is mentally this this side are completely on its arse and that's one yeah. of the reasons that sometimes you think well just a couple of players but actually 
the more the greater churn this summer, the better because it feels like a lot of these players are finished as Man United players because not just because their ability isn't where it needs to be, but mentally to produce the level that they've been producing over the last few months makes you think that they're not people that you think you'd be able to rely on in no. any sensible bid to win anything any of the big any of the big pots good stuff Daniel thanks a million cheers cheers everyone have a good day it's Daniel Harris OTBM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day OTB AM with Gillette get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar 